Welcome to another episode of Purpose on Purpose, Overcoming Adversity and Creating Resiliency. I'm Dario Herrera, along with Christy Grease, our co-host, the amazing faith-inspired influencer that I get to work with every day. And of course, today's guest, Jody, is an incredible advocate and has one of the most impressive careers of public service that I've seen. And it's funny because people will self-identify as a philanthropist uh, and really champion themselves as a server of people, um, but their life's work doesn't necessarily reflect that always. So it's nice to see someone who doesn't refer to themselves that way, who lives service as a way of life. So Jody Tyson, thank you so much for being with thank us. You. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to the conversation today. That's great. So I, I want to jump right into this, right? So you worked in some pretty daunting jobs, right? Uh, teen suicide prevention, uh, working at state mm -hmm. social services, and in in both those capacities, and certainly working in Three Food Square, uh, you you have dealt with people who have been challenged by life, right? And you've been part of the support system to help them get through those challenges. And I wonder, as you experience them, you know, what, what jumps out at you as, as those who were able to overcome those challenges and exercise resilience to kind of get back on your feet and accept help and, and you know, get themselves out of, with the right support, you know, their, their dire circumstances? Thank you for the question. I will say that I have had a lot of opportunity to be part of systems that are committed to helping give people a lift when they need it. And we all need a lift from time to time. I have been on the side of community services and public support programs from more the background and administrative side, making sure that programs are effective and efficient and really targeting in on those who need them the most mm -hmm. and really thinking about policies that help us um, be able to maximize the work that we do. And I have overcome some adversity in my life. I have been privileged to stand with people who have overcome adversity in their lives. I know for myself, uh, one of the things that I knew I needed to do right away was to find that space where I could be of the most valuable, uh, the most value. And I knew that that was not direct services. <laughs> so I will say one of the things that I always say to people is when you are ready for that part of healing in your process to be part of the community and to make it better for others, yeah. um, you want to find that right space because um, not always is that right in direct services. Some people yeah. who are survivors want to jump right in and, um, and be victim advocates and do things. And you really want to make sure that you're able to take care of yourself at the same time that you're taking care of others. And so finding that right space for you is really, really important. So I always start with that and say, um, I found I was very fortunate to find that space for myself early on and have had a long and successful career because of that, because burnout is is an issue. Yeah. So you mentioned your own personal adversity and how in part of getting through your own personal adversity uh, was finding the right role for you and supporting others and serving others. So 
of course, we're going to ask you, would exactly. you like to more about <laughs> personal adversity? And because, and, you know, I, I think me personally, I mean, I look at someone like Christy and until our first podcast show together, I would have never thought she had been through the adversity she had been through. You know, she had been bullied, you know, consistently from a young age. I never would have guessed that because of the way she shows up every day. Now, after she told me, now I get why she's such a fierce advocate and protector of those who can't protect themselves. It makes total sense now. I've known her for two years and didn't know that, right? So what would, you know, what would surprise people about, you know, Jody in terms of your personal adversity? Uh, As a teenager, I was sexually assaulted. Um, Mm. I lived in Southern Nevada my whole life and I was sexually assaulted at a time in our history before the Violence Against Women Act. And I knew um, at that moment, I I knew that I needed my support network of people around me, but I also knew that uh, eventually I would dedicate myself to a career that was helping women and children moving forward. And I, I think that one of the most surprising thing that people probably know about me now <laughs> and know um, and I think are surprised to learn is that I am not always on the side of um, I'm not always on the side of saying you have to be transparent with your adversity, right? So I tell survivors all the time, you you don't have to tell your story if you don't want to. You don't have to be the person who's going to save the world if you don't want to. Some people um, have adversity that happens to them, have traumatic experiences that happen to them. And for them, the healing process is moving forward with their lives and leaving that behind almost and really like opening a new chapter of their book that just does not include what they've been through. I yeah. only through hope and healing for sure first, and then not looking back to that again. That for some people, that's recovery. And I am fully in support of that. Some people feel like every, especially in the Me Too movement, everybody has to have their story and they all have to share their story. But that's not, I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't believe that. So I think some people would be surprised uh, that that is the case. Well, first, let me say I'm sending you a big hug. Thank you. And I'm sorry you had that experience. And I know it's, it takes a lot to be able to share that in an environment like this, in a public environment. And I respect your choice to share it and agree that, you know, not everyone has to uh, share it. Everyone gets to choose what they do with that. Right. And we had, our guest last week was Amy Ayub, right. And she has shared it in a very public way, testifying before the Nevada legislature, having a documentary in her life in which trafficking was a part of, of that. Really, the topic was shame, but trafficking was a big part of that. Uh, but I really res- I respect what you say. And um, my heart goes out to you, Jody. I had no idea. And um, I guess as a follow up is, you know, what do you do with that? Right. Uh, how did you process that? How did you overcome that? What did you do to be OK? Um, I was 16 at the time, and um, I have a very tight family, and I knew for the first two years until I could make my own decisions that um, only a few very close friends who were also teenagers um, knew what happened to me. I did not want to talk to my family. I did not want to make that public because I was so afraid of the anger in my family that I felt a responsibility to protect them. 
and to make sure um, that what happened to me did not ripple out into more trauma in my family. Mm. And so at the age of 16, I took on a huge burden of protector for everyone else that I probably didn't need to carry, but felt a responsibility to carry. And I think that was also part of the shame and other things that um, survivors often carry with them too. Um, but I will say that the things that helped me during that time is um, my, well, my mother is a nurse and she, <laughs> she is a pivotal part of our the community I grew up in in Boulder City. She is an informal volunteer. Every um, person who has an illness in Boulder City, she's probably taken them to the doctor, yeah. helped explain to no. them their medical conditions. Like um, she's just brilliant in that way, and she gives of herself in a way that um, that is not part of an organizational structure but she's just a voice that people can come to or a listening ear people can come to and a voice in her community for ad helping people advocate in their own medical situations. And so I grew up watching her and, and I had a lot of great opportunity to be part of community volunteering and community involvement from the time that I was a teenager. So I was very involved in the Rainbow Girls. I don't know if you guys have yeah. ever heard of Rainbow Girls. No, what is that? <laughs> Rainbow Girls is like Girl Scouts in uh, Southern Belle dresses. So um, Rainbow <laughs> Girls love to dress up. And so we wore formal gowns all a lot of the time. But it was often about <laughs> community involvement. It was about public speaking. It was about how to learn to be a leader and to be detail-oriented and to plan events and to plan fundraisers and to plan opportunities awesome. for our peers to have um, an impact in our community. So a lot like um, Girl Scouts or other types of programs for girls, uh, it was very in that line of thinking. So, um, so I had a lot of opportunity as a young person. And so I knew that even though I was taking on this responsibility to help protect my family, that I wanted to make things better for my community and for women and children in my community. So. I knew that I could do that um, through a nonprofit lens. And so I went to college and um, the first thing I did was start um, working with and joined and eventually became a staff member at the Jean Nidich Women's Center at UNLV, mm. a center that's still there at UNLV. Yes. And I was really proud to be one of the first staff members there. And my goal was to work on services for students and make sure that they were connected into the right things. And we had re-entry students who were women who were coming back into college. We had students who had been assaulted on campus or as part of their college experience who also needed support. So right away, I found community and support and being with others like me who were looking for um, an opportunity to make things better on campus, an opportunity to make things better in the community and finding healing at the same time. Mm. Um, and i that's kind of the journey that I've been through. So when you talked about yeah. um, being part of suicide prevention, um, I had an opportunity to be with a mom who had lost her son to suicide and mm -hmm. finding that community that she found in others who had lost people to suicide. and. That 
that journey of finding healing and finding community just really brought me in. I had not at that time experienced um, the loss of suicide to me personally, mm -hmm. but I could see the community that they were um, finding for themselves and the ways that they really wanted to see change happen in our community. And I thought, well, I can come and help bring a structure that helps to provide that change. So together we wrote um, the first federal grant um, to bring youth suicide prevention funds to Nevada. And I had the great honor of helping to implement that um, three-year seed money from the federal government, which was a, a, a really rewarding experience. <clears throat> Um, and then later I, I was with them for a while and then um, I saw all these nonprofits who were writing grants and um, doing these fabulous things. And I said to the state, um, I would really like to help with family resource centers and um, problem gambling and programs that really need that kind of support and structure and was able to work for the state doing that for a while. And then Three Square Food Bank said, uh, you know, so much of relief <laughs> is federal funding. Like, how do you implement federal yeah. funding on a local level? And how do you provide for people who need that little extra help? And when we did that, when we brought in, you know, federal funds for kids and after school programs, guess what happened? Those kids found community together those kids found an opportunity to be there with each other who needed that little extra help, who found an opportunity to see themselves in each other. Kids who were there for tutoring programs and kids who were there for free sports activities and, and just being together instead of going home to empty houses, right? When their parents are working and the latchkey kid that I was, you know, when yeah. I was growing up. So I, I love being able to do that, to help support community in whatever shape, you know, that comes into, because that really helps strengthen our resolve and our ability to overcome adversity is when we do it together, right? You know, I, I'm a dad of a 17-year-old girl, and I can't imagine her experiencing what you had to experience, and then her taking on the burden of protecting me by shielding that from from not just me but whomever else right so it's really remarkable to to hear a the choices you made and, and b and this is kind of the premise of the show is how you take adversity and create resiliency and what i'm hearing from you is the way you were able to do that is by choosing to serve others yeah, choosing yes. to support others, connect others, provide kindness and love for others, and use your talents to bring more resources to help even more people. So you took your personal challenge, your personal adversity, and created opportunity for others, and uh, were able to really kind of find your way through that experience you had to unfortunately share or or, or have at, at such a young age. That's that's remarkable, Jody. Really remarkable. Thank you. It's How did um, you I'm so sorry. many have stories that are just like mine though. So I just want to say yeah. um my story is not unique. Um you know one in six girls has a story like mine. And um and I we're all our experiences are different, but the fact that we all experience them together and um, that we have this this horrible commonality 
is is so true and we all find our journey through it a little bit differently but i think that that piece of um of community involvement it was a savior for me but it's also you know a savior for a lot of people amy for example who you mentioned in your podcast last week found community and found that healing was uh, um, part of that community that she mm -hmm. has been able to. And God bless her for it because um, she has given life and hope to other people because she has been involved and found that community. Uh, people gravitated to that and said, well, gosh, if you can tell your story, then I can tell mine too. And so sometimes community is, um, is encouragement and being able to lift others to feel confident in telling their story and sometimes it's that we're just going through life together right yeah yeah what i was going to ask what other what were the steps between the way you were sharing it sounded like at some point you did tell your family or you were able to share it with your family i know that a lot of times we have to create that safe, safe space and and at what point and how did you get to the point to share it and, and open up with them? Um, you, I waited until I was 18 so that I could make my own decisions, right? Um, you have to be a legal adult to make your own decisions sometimes, especially even when it comes to things like that. Or That's the way it was before the Violence Against Women Act. Um, I, I also know that when you... Um, for the major vast majority of people, not all, but for the vast majority of people, um, even though you have a tight circle of people who might know your experiences, if you don't have a, a mental health component to your recovery, um, yeah. it's that much harder. And so because I was in my parents' insurance and I was my parents' daughter and I was, you know, I, I had to wait until it came to a certain time in my life where I could... Um, go through counseling for what happened to me. And so um, it got to a point where, um, you know, I did have a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder. And so it was important for me to take that step. Um, the Women's Center at UNLV was a, a part of that. They really helped me mm -hmm. um, find somebody who was um, kind of experienced in this area. I told my parents that I was feeling depressed and that I, uh, which was all true, um, but it was through the first couple of sessions that I had with her that she said, I think it's, I think you're ready to, you know, bring your parents in and let's have a conversation. And so I was so afraid to tell my family mm -hmm. that we actually, um, did it as a family session together, which was very helpful for me because it took the burden off of me to find the right time and the courage and the, the appointment the was there. And she was there and that really um, helped make it a lot easier for me, yeah. And I know a lot of times my experience is that the fear of what's gonna happen is is many times worse than when it happens. Oh, yeah. So how right. was that experience Absolutely. once you opened well, up? Yeah, you know, I, it is really important to share too because I want your listeners to hear, you know, I that it feels, like it's going to be the worst thing you ever have to talk about, right? But then when you do, I mean, my my parents were very understanding and my parents were very supportive and my parents have been 100% champions for me and supported me in all of the decisions that I have made. Um, and I will say that that has you know, been true 
for my daughter as well. There have been you know different experiences, but there have been times in her life where she's thought, I, I don't know if I want to tell my mom and dad, you know, these kinds of things that are happening, but it's always worse in our heads, right? And then when we actually say, you know, these things out loud, we kind of take the power away from them, right? When we say them out loud, they're no longer so powerful in our brain. And Absolutely. Yeah. And so then, and also our ability to control, like we think when it's in our brain, we control it a hundred percent, which we don't because our brain does a lot of funny things to us and, and it yeah. really can take charge in a way <laughs> that we didn't think that it could. So when we say those things out loud, we number one, take the power away from them, but we also take a lot of that control away from ourselves, which in some times is really good for us, right? Because we can't control everything that happens to us and all of our surroundings. And so when we let go of that control, we allow others to come in and be part of the solution and what needs to happen to resolve that situation for us. So when I let my parents come in and help me, um, they did. They, they took that mantle and were very supportive. And we have always tried, of course, to be that way in raising our daughter as well. So, Well, I have three. I have a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 7-year-old, or 6, excuse me. Ugh, I hated them growing so fast. But I say that all the time, and I know that. I know, I know, they're growing so fast. But I, I say that I don't care how, how, how bad it is. It does you know, we'll be there for you. We like the most important thing for me is for them to communicate with us. And just for you to have the foresight to see that you had to be 18 because of legalities. It, it's just, I'm in love. You. I'm like a very old soul, but I, I also have a lot of admiration that you did it your way. And yet you did, you were able to come out, share it, which I think creates a space for healing. As we know, shame is fed in the darkness and in the shame of secrecy. And so when you can, I love that, you know, you had a couple friends that you could, you know, share the story with to kind of bear those two years until you got to there. Um, and like you said, this is so much more common than we, you know, possibly imagine. Um, and as we talked last, last week about sex trafficking, you know, I just really appreciate that you, are bringing that you're willing to share your story with our audience and and with your family and community um, so that we can you know let people know especially people who are in positions um, of, of influence of power um, when they're able to share their stories that that the past hasn't been all hunky-dory it really makes people feel like they maybe they have the opportunity to share maybe if they tell their story um, that, that it can bring light and hope to, to somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's one of the really important things that we do as a community is to give space to others to be able to do that, right? So um, in the general community, I mean, in this sense that, um, that we are evolving in our intelligence around people's stories and the adversity that people have come through and kind of putting on a lens that um, that everyone's experiences are valid, that everyone's experiences may be different, but that we as a community want to lift people up and support them through that process. And so that's one of the things that, uh, in terms of all adversity, right? So bullying is a big example of that. Like when we were growing up, right? I mean, that was very different. Kids are kids. Um, now exactly. we have a different understanding of that. 
um, you know, in sexual assault. Like now we have a different understanding of that. And so as we evolve as a community, we also become more empathetic. We become more, um, we, we really work to provide opportunities for resilience that we did not before, I think. And I think that's one of the greatest, you know, the whole, um, you know, take me back to a simpler time. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate that because we talk here so much in, you know, in the world and in, especially in social media about how awful the world is. And, and yet there's so many, I mean, this time and, and space that we're living, there are so many advantages and, and so much of this was just hidden. And now because of the different movements and, and courage from people like yourself, you, we are allowing people to have a voice that I think that there's a lot more, um, you know, hidden. And, and I think we're giving this permission slip for people to share their stories, tell their stories. And, and in that, create this open space that, you know, that there's enough love to go around to hold that space for everybody to heal in all the different areas of, of adversity that they experience. You know, and I think that a lot of our understanding about these things is we develop a, a new mindset for youth, youth, like in my experience, youth as in um, even younger in terms of bullying is around the development of youth, right? Like what happens in young people's brains and, and how do we create um, opportunities for students to have the same level play, like what can we just do equitably to make sure that all kids, you know, all kids experience adversity in, in one way or another. I, I, I really do believe that. I mean, I, um, you know, our experiences are different, but the challenges that are set before us um, can, are wide and varied, but there are challenges in front of every student. And so how can we just make sure that as a community, we put a mindset to developing super high functioning adults what what is it that they need in community to be able to do that and how can we make sure that that is applied equitably across our entire valley or our nation or our state or you know those kinds of things and some of the things that we've been talking about are actually part of that you know system of thinking so and there are several different systems of thinking but one system of thinking that I have always gravitated towards is the system called the 40 developmental assets. And the 40 developmental assets are things like community involvement, um, youth, like do we support youth? Do we, um, do we really recognize the power of, of youth and what youth have to say, right? Do we, um, do we talk about family involvement? Do we really provide you know, help for family involvement. How can we make sure that families are involved and families are engaged? How do we make sure that the school's, um, you know, environment is safe and supportive and, you know, those things. So there are um, 20 internal developmental assets that youth need, and then there are 20 external um, forces that their development assets that youth need to, to really find that high level of excellence as an adult. And the community side is what I've always tried to focus in on. So do we have programs that enrich children and help make their confidence grow? Do we have an attitude in our community that children's voices are just as important as our voices? And um, I think that this kind of developmental um, 
asset list has been helpful to me in my career, whether it's thinking about how to get more kids involved in volunteerism and, and how to be thinking about the ways that they can contribute to their community. How can we contribute as adults to the growth and development of young people? Um, but then schools and their teachers and our religious leaders, and they're all also thinking about all of those internal developmental assets that kids need, yeah. right? Um, and uh, even I, I like to share a story about my daughter. When my daughter was growing up, my daughter was eight years old and wrote, I read a book from her school library about suffrage and suffragettes. And the book was about a young girl whose mother was a suffragist. And Hannah came to the dinner table one night and said, I can't believe how long it took for women to get the right to vote. And mm -hmm. I can't believe the struggles that they had to actually get the right to vote. How come we don't have a holiday about suffragists? All the holidays are for men, mom. <laughs> and wow. I said, well, that's, that's true. And she said, how do you get a holiday? Like, what does it take to get a holiday? <laughs> And I said, well, you know, holidays pass by Congress and usually like people would start with maybe like a petition or something. So she got her friend involved, created <laughs> community, right? Created community, went to adults and others in her sphere and collected 300 signatures for wow. getting a women's suffrage day. And I thought it was the cutest, sweetest thing in the whole world. So I called Congresswoman Shelley Berkeley and I said, do you think that you would accept these little girls' petitions for a holiday? And she said, of course I would. So she had the girls come in and the girls presented their petition to her. She took the girls under her wing. Um, she got the League of Women Voters involved and the League mm. of Women Voters helped sponsor these two little girls to go to Washington, D.C. and stand with her on the floor of the House of Representatives oh. to, to announce this bill. And the thing is, is that it, it, from the whole time, girls getting together, creating community. This is what we need. Teachers who saw that this was an opportunity to educate other kids about why it's important that women have the right to vote and what that means in our history. A congresswoman who wanted to help lift their voice in the community, right, and gave them the space and the opportunity to present a bill. And then that bill passed unanimously in a recognition day for women's suffrage on July 19th. So always July 19th, yes! Women's Suffrage Day. Um, and we're missing a, a special component, the mother of the girl the who mom, yeah. had this idea <laughs> and influenced her. So it's really like you can see how these things stack together, yeah. right? Do we listen to kids? Do we give them spaces? Do we give yeah. them mentoring? Do we embrace an opportunity to use it as an education, you know, an educational moment, right? So the, all of these things you can see reflected in things like those 40 developmental assets. And those are the kinds of things I think that really create um, the kind of resiliency that we want to see in kids. We know that kids will experience adversity, but we want resilient kids who, be, who are able to face that adversity with confidence and with a support system that will help them get through. Yeah, what I heard from you and then through that story is the underlying current of emotional intelligence. Yeah, yes. You know, and and Hugh sharing earlier, you know, one of the things we do on Purpose on Purpose is really we're working towards the formula for resiliency, right? How do you create resiliency and what are the steps? 
And sure, they're different because resiliency comes about in different ways with different people based on their circumstances, their own character, their own journey. But so far, we've identified tribe, you know, finding the tribe mm -hmm. that supports you and loves you. Yep. Ownership, like accepting ownership for whatever is going on in your life. Yeah. Right. Uh, we've talked about uh, through Amy, you know, connecting and sharing. Right. With you, it was obvious that serving others was a big part of your emotional resiliency as you overcame your adversity. And then I think now we've got emotional intelligence, too, because, you know, the, the amount of uh, emotional IQ you had to exercise to wait to, to make decision to, to not tell your parents and then wait. So you're 18 and then, you know, get the right help. And then with the support of that help, you know, bring them in and then pass along to, you know, uh, create an environment, a context for your daughter where she can, you know, be so proactive about service and, and exercise such emotional intelligence. You know, that seems to be uh, a, a developing theme in resiliency. Are, is there anything else that stands out to you? And when, when we talk about resiliency, like the components, the, the different aspects of, exercising resiliency in the face of adversity. What, what, I, mean, I know you talked about the foundational assets and I, I wish we had more time Maybe to do some of those yeah. assets. You could share. So that's incredible. But I just wonder if there's anything that stands out to you that we're missing so far that's part of the uh, developing formula for resiliency. Um, well, I, I think, I, I even think talking about it like this, like forums like this, where it, it you know, the Fortnite developmental assets is it's so academic, right? Like we, we throw mm -hmm. these things around, right? Like this is what communities need. This is what kids need. Like, you know, but we don't talk about it or, or talk about how it's applied in the lives of mm -hmm. people. And so right. I think it, it is by having conversations like this, that takes something that seems very academic and, and shows how it makes a difference in real people's lives. And so I think that it's, it really like, shows like this should be commended because it's talking about resiliency, what it takes to be resilient and, and how you can demonstrate that through storytelling is, yeah. is great. And congratulations on really finding a niche that um, lifts people, helps them find community, helps talk about emotional intelligence, all of these things that we're finding it right here on this podcast. So this is tremendous. Well, thank and I, you. I the think another, Oh, I was just going to say, and uh, the other thing that you that I heard you say is there's the assumption that we are going to have adversity in life. Like that's let's just accept that, you know, whether you are it doesn't matter what um, background you have, um, whether it's self-imposed, whether it's put upon you, life is difficult. And and so creating these different formulas, these different modalities and tools and having these tools in your tool belt for how you're going to deal with it and teaching this at a young age. I mean, to be able to teach emotional intelligence to, to youth and, and to create a, a, a forum for your daughter and her friend to, to learn firsthand how to be public servants. I mean, it's, it's astounding. I, I commend you and I, I really appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. Well, Sorry, I appreciate having you. an opportunity. Well, I'm not letting you go yet. I have one more question for you. Hold on. No, I have one more question for you. So, <laughs> I mean, this is fascinating. I know we could talk for hours, but, I, you know, the reason I, I think it's important for us to really dive into resiliency is because a lot of times when we don't show up, 
uh, because of shame or because of some kind of challenge or our perception of ourselves because of what we experienced, it keeps us from living our purpose, yeah. right? Uh, I can speak for myself in saying that. I've been kept in my purpose because of my own uh, perception of lack or because of my history of abandonment or because of things that I did that I knew were wrong but did them anyway. So you know, I told myself a story that I can't serve you know, or I can't be in alignment with my purpose because I'm not perfect because I've, I've done these things that have harmed others and harmed myself, you know? So, so that's a long way of asking the question, you know, what, what are you doing to fulfill your purpose? Like what, how are you finding your purpose these days? How are you spending your time? What's most fulfilling for you? And, and now you've come, you've come such a long way from, you know, that brave, you know, girl who experienced, the unthinkable. Yeah. Where are you finding purpose today? Well, that <laughs> that's a great that's a great question. I think uh, I can answer that in a lead into something that you'll probably know that I'm about to say. Um, I I have found purpose for so long in thinking about community and how we build community, mm -hmm. um, and. I've been able to really be blessed to be able to do that in my nine to five job. Um, yeah. I, I don't have to go far to be involved in the community, which has just been a tremendous honor. It's, it's lived my life purpose so far. But I will say that um, as an early uh, undergrad student, when I was finishing, somebody said to me, Jody, do you think you'll ever run for office? And I said, well, I don't know. And they said, well, do you like to ask people for money? And I said, no. <laughs> so they said, well, they don't ever run for office. Don't so run. I, said, I said, OK, like, OK. I, I yeah, run I, from I, office, not for office, right? <laughs> involved and to make my community better on the outside advocating right for women and children and families and seniors and so and I have and I have been so proud of that work but there comes a time in your work where the things that you're so passionate about and that you're learning about and that you want to move forward in um you can say that that's work to a certain extent but then you want to keep going a little bit further and a little bit further and, and after a while it starts to feel like is this really related to my work now at the food bank? Is this really related to my work as a member of the education advisory committee or, or am I taking this a little bit further? And if I really want to do that, how, what's the right next step for me to do that? How can I continue to be meaningful in my community? How can I continue to serve? And we all grow and develop in ways that, um, we get excited when we learn new things, right? And we really want to be part of that. And so it's it's been, um, I've been on a learning, lifelong learning uh, experience about how the built environment really impacts health and, and how do we continue to create healthy communities and healthy families. And I've gotten to be part of the, of my community in the city of Henderson for quite some time. And I thought, well, maybe now is the right time for me to really take that next step and to think about um, running for office. And so wow. I am currently, Yay. yeah, so I, I haven't officially announced, maybe I'm actually announcing that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> our purpose with the exclusive, everyone. Yes. <laughs> but I, I feel so passionate about what happens in my community, right? Like I want to yeah. help my, make 
continue to make my community a healthy community that really makes sure that everything that we are doing in healthy communities lifts up everybody and that we don't leave anybody behind, right? So these things are really important to me. Um, but I also know that when my community is a great healthy community, it lifts the whole region. Like we, we are still a region. We are not one city, one neighborhood. Like we are a whole region. We are interdependent on each other. And so when we bring these great ideas to the table and when we are ready to dedicate ourselves to lifting up the community and building community, building resilience for all youth that are in our community, we help lift the whole region. And so that's really what I feel passionate about right now. And, um, and it's the, this new, starting to be this new direction and path that I am on, and I'm really excited about it. Well, I have to say, I'm just starting to getting to know you. I mean, I've known you for a long time. We met probably 20 years ago. And yeah. uh, like the more I learn of you and the more I listen to you, the more I am inspired by you and the more I feel like the city of Henderson and the residents of Henderson, the families who make residence uh, in Henderson, are really fortunate to have you there. And in whatever capacity you choose to run and serve, um, I know that you're bringing your heart to it. I know that you're bringing a life of service uh, that's backed by action and alignment to service to it. And uh, I think it's gonna be fascinating to see what you do next because uh, obviously you you have um, the right intentions and certainly the experience and capability. It's gonna be fun to see. Thank you very much. I appreciate the kind words, and um, I'll be calling you, Dario, on my uh, on my fundraising list. Then. <laughs> That's great. I can't think of a better candidate. Congratulations, and um, we're we're happy to support and to see, like Dario commented, to see where your career and your life take you, because all of your experience and your knowledge with youth and children and, and people that um, have, have gone through, and, and even more importantly, prevention, um, suicide prevention. I mean, I've had that, I've been affected four different times in my life by um, mm -hmm. people who are very close to me committing suicide and, and um, to, to get to that preventative part where um, we're stopping the unthinkable happen, um, I think is just very commendable. So congratulations. Well, thank you very much. And I do hope that people that are listening today, if they do need help, um, if you need help with suicide prevention, there's the National Suicide Prevention Line, which is a tremendous asset and just really um, hardworking, meaningful people who are making a change in people's lives every day. And so if you are struggling, do you have that number? To reach out. Um, I will get it uh, so that you'll have it for sure. I think I know it, but uh, let me Perfect. get it and that we'll way you can it. put it okay. in the chat. Yeah, we'll um, put it in the description. Yeah. And, and then if someone wants to reach out to you and they want to learn more about your candidacy and uh, support you or anything, where, where do they find you now? Um, they can email me. So I'm at Jody, J-O-D-I, for the number four, Henderson at gmail.com. You can reach out <laughs> to me that way. Yeah, that would be wonderful. I can't wait to email. Be catching base <laughs> with um with constituents in my community. So it's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. It's I'm always amazed uh, at how much we learn during you know these conversations. It's unbelievable, right? <laughs> you know, it's uh, you think you have a handle on on someone, or you think you have a handle on what resiliency is, and then boom, like you learn so much more through. And really, it's through honest conversation without agenda. And, and the only agenda we exactly. have in the show 
is helping others. Yeah. You know, I've, I've had my own, yeah, I've had my own journey with resilience. Chris has had her own journey. And by these shared stories and, and understanding, you know, the components of resiliency and really reminding people that they have everything they need within themselves to overcome adversity. Right. Right. And because you have adversity, that doesn't mean that you're less than or you're lacking something or you're less valuable or you're less important. In fact, it's the opposite. You know, you're being given that opportunity to grow and to show up for yourself and to be a light for others. Yes. Uh, and that's why we do this, to remind people that and to um, really support them and, and meet people like you with fascinating stories who are doing incredible work in our communities and lifting up our communities. And it's uh, I'm just honored to have had you on here. Thank you very much. It's been my absolute pleasure. And I, it's been great to get to know you too, Christy. <laughs> oh, I, I'm excited to meet you when I come to Las Vegas. Yes, we'll meet me too. Person, not we just have lots of things in common. So. <laughs> we do. Thank you right. so much for being on our show. We appreciate so, you. To our audience at home, if you have any questions, any comments, please uh, let us know. Uh, I'm Dario Herrera for Christy Grease, Purpose on Purpose, Overcoming Adversity and Creating Resiliency. Until next time, I'll see you soon. Thank you. Be blessed.